I will, um, from time to time, recognize a couple. Um, well, wait, before I get into all that, I'm sorry. I, I want to I uh, say this first. First of all, I want to acknowledge that we've got a lot of guests today. And um, I want to thank all of you who are here. And it has been a joy to meet some of you this morning. And, and you can do us uh, not only the favor of letting us know you're here, but would you do us this favor too? We hope that you always feel welcome here every time that you're here. And if you come by our way again, we hope you'll stop here. But wherever you go and when you go back to, your, uh, to wherever you're visiting or back home, would you tell others that there's a friendly, inviting group of disciples here who will welcome them in on a rainy day um, or even a sunny day or any day. We, we want to be that friendly, inviting group, and we hope that you'll share that word with others and let them know that they'll be welcome here, and I hope you do feel welcome here today. I want to acknowledge you and tell you that one of the things that I do from time to time is um, I acknowledge a couple who've been married for more than 50 years. Um, we do that because it, you know, if you did every anniversary, it would be an endless task. But also at 50 years, I think you get the opportunity to affirm in the presence of one another and in God's presence that there is a wisdom to his ways of marriage and the covenant of marriage. But today I'm going to make a rare exception to that because Donna and Jerry Looney were married for 49 years. And if not for Donna's passing this week, it would have been 50. I know that. And if you ask me how I can be so sure of that, I can be so sure of that because Jerry shared a photo with me from 1964. He said to Donna, the girl I love more than anything in this whole wide world, I hope we can live together happily for the rest of our lives with all my love, Jerry. And they both kept that spirit that's reflected there. I don't know that I've ever told you this or that we've ever told you this properly, but Jerry is part of the, the, the church staff here. Most of the time that we've been talking about Jerry and Donna, we've been praying for them. And maybe we've never given that announcement the attention it deserves, but uh, Jerry is part of the church team here. You know, the funny thing is, hasn't stopped Jerry from doing his work, as excellent as he always does. He just keeps working, and we're thankful for that. But Jerry wanted me to thank all of you during this journey for being a part of the years of love that he and Donna shared. And it reminds us that for some, the holidays will have sorrow. Would you pray with me? Father, our prayer is that you will be with all those who have happy memories but feel sorrow during this time. It seems so out of place. And yet, we know, we know the truth. That there will be that sorrow in this world, and yet you are not allowing that sorrow to have the last word. So let there be hope in our hearts, Father. We thank you that Jerry and Donna could show us the wisdom of your ways. And we pray that we will share that good news with others as well. 
Father, bless us every day with hope. In the name of Christ we pray, amen. So there's going to be a telling of that hope tonight. You've heard about it. The tidings of great joy. Gather here tonight. We'll all be gathered up at 6 o'clock and we'll have a devotional preparing our hearts and minds. And then we want to invite others. We want more guests to be here. And some of our youngest people will tell us the story that you can read about in Luke chapter 2. The story that has been told for generations. A story that Luke wrote down to tell Theophilus and generations of Christians thereafter so that they would have confidence in what they had heard. It's not a story, it's not a fairy tale or a children's classic story. And even though it's appropriate for children to tell this story, we have to keep in mind too that this is a story that not only can we celebrate, but we must celebrate it. Because we're led into celebration at the birth of a Savior through the very angel armies of heaven. They are calling us to worship. So it's very appropriate that we do indeed celebrate this. But this story comes to us as an inspiring chronicle. And and not a cold or detached historical record, but an inspiring telling of something that happened, something unique, something nearly unheard of, but something that happened in real times and in real places. And the setting of this story as Luke records it for us is the setting of a weary world. Specifically, a weary world long ago, some millennia ago, but not a world really so different, even though we're separated by time. Because the first century world in which Christ is born is a world of military campaigns long occupations in foreign lands where imperial forces dominate and rule over the people whose lands they have, they have come into. It's a weary world of oppressive governments. Empires that tax their citizens, all of their citizens, just so they can fund their power and claim to do good and bring peace to the people that they have often dominated and oppressed. And there's religious turmoil in this weary world. There are differences in religion. There are rebellions that rise up. There are rebellions that are put down all in the name of God. The King of God's people, the children of Abraham, is involved in scandal, and he feels threatened. But there's a worship that goes on in Jerusalem as it had at a, for a thousand years up to this point. And it's maintained. And those who lead that worship, the priests, those who are in charge of that temple and its worship, they often feel threatened by these oppressive powers. But the strange thing is that worship that's going on there 
doesn't really threaten anybody in that world. In fact, the worship goes on routinely, and the religious leaders never seem to threaten anyone, and they only make a sound when they're worried about what's happening to their worship. It's a weary world long ago. It sounds a lot like our world. At that time, in that place, in and around Jerusalem and in Judea, God interrupts the weariness. He doesn't come in quietly. He he doesn't wait for them to wake up or get their energy back. God just interrupts it. He just steps in when they least expect it. And God interrupts the weariness with the birth announcement of two children. That's why it's incredibly appropriate for our children to tell this story of good tidings of great joy. So, you, you, you know, you, you, we're already prepared for the announcement of the birth of Christ. But there was one before that that sometimes we miss. If you go to Luke chapter 1, and I have this, this version of the New Living Translation, which I, I'll admit, I'm still trying to figure out because it doesn't look like the one that I have in print. They're different. So I don't know if this is New Living Translation, the... You know, the unedited, unauthorized version or what. But whatever it is, the way it says it, this may be the best translation of Luke chapter 1, verse 5 that I've ever read. Because you start out with the first four verses and Luke says, Theophilus, I want you to know the things that have happened, the real things that happened, real places that they all happened and I've talked to the eyewitnesses and I want you to know these things so that you'll have confidence in the things that you've come to believe and in verse 5 he begins his chronicle like this it all begins with a Jewish priest Zechariah who lived when Herod was king of Judea Zechariah was a member of the priestly order of Abijah His wife Elizabeth was also from the priestly line of Aaron. Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes, careful to obey all of the Lord's commandments and regulations. They had no children because Elizabeth was barren, and now they were both very old. You see that Luke is saying it all begins like this. And you have all of that detail, all of that 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 those those real facts. That, that tell you that here's Zechariah the priest, and it's one day in the temple. He, in fact, is on duty in the temple. Listen to verse 8. One day Zechariah was serving God in the temple, for his order was on duty that week. What put Zechariah there? The same thing that puts many a ministry leader up here in this pulpit. They were on the list. It's the order. It's on the Excel spreadsheet. I got the memo from the office. That's, it was their time. In fact, um, as was the custom of the priests, he was chosen by lot to enter the sanctuary and burn incense in the Lord's presence. 
That is not meant to sound high and lofty. Oh, Zechariah, chosen by lot. Chosen by lot means that they're all standing out there saying, who's going into the sanctuary? And they roll dice or flip a coin or draw straws. You, Zechariah. Maybe there's a little bit of awe. Maybe there's a little expectation. But they just have to figure out who's going to do what. It's an ordinary day in the temple. While the incense was being burned, verse 10, a great crowd stood outside praying. And that had probably happened day after day after day, year after year after year, as it was prescribed, as it was supposed to be done, They were following the routine and the custom. I'm not saying it was illegitimate. I'm not saying it was wrong. But they were doing what they'd always done. And suddenly an angel appears. Now that was unexpected. Zechariah was in the sanctuary when an angel of the Lord appeared standing to the right of the incense altar. Zechariah is overwhelmed with fear. But the angel said, don't be afraid, Zechariah, for God has heard your prayer and your wife, Elizabeth, and you will bear a son. Now you go back and you look up there, and I don't see where Zechariah was praying. In fact, there may have been an initial reaction, and I can't prove this biblically, but there may be an initial reaction when, you go out to, when, when they go out to that large crowd and say, now which one of you have been praying for this? If an angel showed up right here on this stage today, that would not be in our order of worship. And there would be some of us leaving here saying, you know, worship was fine, but that angel really interrupted things. Preacher was just really getting into it when the angel messed it up. The angel brings this message that God is going to give Elizabeth and Zechariah a child who will prepare the people of God. Verse 17, He will be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah, the prophet of old. He will precede the coming of the Lord, preparing the people for His arrival. He'll turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, and He'll change disobedient minds to accept godly wisdom. And Zechariah said to the angel, How can I be sure this will happen? Because I'm an old man now, and my wife is also well along in years. In Eugene Peterson's The Message, he has Zechariah say, this is a good translation, I'm not sure I believe this. Well, two things. You can see how unexpected it is. Number one, this isn't just some guy who walked in off the street it's an angel in the, sa- in the sanctuary. That's got to count for something. Secondly, Zechariah seems to have forgotten Genesis and the story of Abraham and Sarah. And God's got a pretty good track record on these sort of things. But because he cannot believe it, Zechariah is kind of put on hold for a while. You'll have a message when you see that this is all done. He cannot speak until the child is born. 
An angel interrupts the order of worship, and his message is an answer to prayers. And old Zechariah and his wife are to have a child. And God is interrupting a weary world to prepare a people. And then there's another interruption in the world. We, we, we move over to chapter 2. And the angel's already announced to Mary that she's going to have a child, the Messiah, the Savior. But still, the ordinary busyness of life just keeps going on. You would think somehow, you know, Mary could be put in a castle somewhere or protected, but no. Her and Joseph have to deal with all the ordinary business of life. And Luke makes that so clear again to us. He says, chapter 2, verse 1, At that time, the Roman Emperor Augustus, or in the days of the Emperor Augustus, he decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. You know, of all the things that people think of at this time, at this holiday season, of all the ornaments, of all the cookies, of everything, all the little decorations that show up about this story. I mean, you know, so forget Santa Claus, Frosty the Snowman, and the Krampus and all that. Just, just the religious part of it. The one thing that you never see, I haven't seen it yet, but after saying this, somebody will probably show me, is you know, there's never any Christmas card that says, here is the census, get ready to be taxed. That's the most uninspiring part of the story. And yet, why does Luke mention it? Why bring up all this history? Why bring up all this, tax, this, this talk about the census and being taxed? He even throws in a, you know, another comment, verse 2. This was the first census taken when Quirinius was the governor of Syria. Now we're bringing in other places into this story. Because the Roman emperor is taxing the whole world. Everyone returned to their own towns to register for this census. And because Joseph, who by the way, they lived in Nazareth, up in the north. But because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. He took with him Mary, who was, I love this translation, who was obviously pregnant by that time. Now, it means something to us that he comes from the house of King David. But in Rome, where they're telling everybody it's time to be taxed, they don't care. It's bureaucracy, it's politics, it's all of that stuff that some of you know very well for the. What have we got now? For the next 20 days or less of this year, you're going to have to do things to finish out 2015 because that's the way the government wants it. And like many other people, Joseph and Mary are displaced because of the actions of an emperor in Rome. Now, I know there are comparisons to Joseph and Mary. They're often described as homeless people or refugees. I think the, the comparison, you can make a point there. But I think, and again, I, I don't want to get into all of that. 
But Joseph and Mary would be perfectly content to continue to do their work in Nazareth. She's going to have the child. They've got familial support up there, I'm sure. But instead, they have to pick up at the most inconvenient of times, and there is no convenient time, and they have to go to Bethlehem, where it's pretty obvious they don't have any kinfolk, at least none that are willing to take them in, because they have to go searching for hospitality. This is more than a huge inconvenience. It's incredibly oppressive to them. And Joseph and Mary are among the lives that are disrupted by this empire. And that's why you have a weary, weary world. And that empire just keeps taking the life out of people. Claiming that we're going to take your life so we can give back your life. And you will owe us and we will take care of you. And it just seems like none of the people in that weary world ever quite feel at rest or at peace. And here's one of the lessons today. This world is never going to give us rest and peace. You will not get it from the forces and the powers in this world. Am I being political? Um... Only insofar as I'm talking about all other politics and governments compared to the kingdom of God, which is the only rule that will endure forever. Here, then, in the midst of this disruption of being displaced, tired, weary people, who, by the way, he would probably be fine to take care of the Roman tax if he could stay in his hometown and keep working, but instead he has to go to Bethlehem because some bureaucrat wants him down there. But as long as he's in Bethlehem, God's going to use that opportunity to make something happen that will have meaning. A Savior is born in Bethlehem. Why Bethlehem? What's so important about Bethlehem, a town whose name means the house of bread? It was nothing in the first century. It's a little wide spot in the road. It's not the big city of Jerusalem even. People who know the story know that Jacob, Jacob buried his wife Rachel there. He suffered loss there. Ruth and Naomi, they came there as poor widows, hoping to find food because they had no one to take care of them. They too, oppressed by the circumstances of life. And hopefully, just because of the grace of people who left the edges of their field untended, they were able to find something to eat. Bethlehem, the hometown of a sheep herder, the youngest the littlest, the forgotten one, the one who's not even called out when the prophet Samuel says, who can lead our people? Bethlehem has seen its share of weary people and great leaders. And so Bethlehem is going to be center stage once again. After the Savior is born, and by the way, it happens so quietly. Verse 6, While they were in Bethlehem, the time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her first child, a son, 
She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth, placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. So simple. In some ways, so ordinary. But, but this is the Savior. Bethlehem knows that these sort of things have happened before, that weary people, great people, have walked its little dusty streets. So, don't we need to tell somebody? I mean, this is like church all over again. Every time something happens around here, we have to make announcements. Somebody needs to make an announcement. We need to put it in the bulletin. We need to get it in the pulpit. We need to put it on email. We need to put it on Facebook. Somebody make an announcement. Somebody make an announcement. Somebody make an announcement. We need to make an announcement that there's going to be an announcement. And we're not like, you know, it's not just church. We do this everywhere. We do it in the world today. Now you have teasers for teasers for movies that are coming out. Somebody said, have you seen the the second Star Wars teaser? I said, I thought it was the fourth. No, the others were teasers for the teasers. I don't need that. I don't need ads to tell me to watch an ad. Oh, we're big on announcements and communication. Here, the Savior's just been born in Bethlehem. Joseph and Mary are out there in a cave. they got nowhere to stay. There's a couple of farm animals around. Savior's been born. Really? Somebody needs to say something. Fine, God will take care of it. He'll get a, he'll get a crack team of PR people on that. And you know who he's going to go to? A bunch of sheep herders out in the fields in that region. Listen to Luke tell the story. That night, there, there were sheep herders, shepherds. Come on. Shepherds gets cleaned up. You know, shepherds are little Charlie Brown-looking kids in you know, robes, and they, you know, and they got little, these little crooked you know, uh, staffs, and, and they look so nice, and they go along with the angel and all that. Well, you, don't, you don't feel the same way when you hear the term goat herder, okay? Well, you... you not a lot of different. Some of you can tell me this, but sheep and goats—they're—they're they're both little eating machines. That you know, um, you know. So I mean, they're herding them because they're both going to end up on somebody's dinner table or something. So here are these guys out there living, you know, working out in the fields. Not only do they work by day, they work by night. Luke, Luke, people, Luke, and the people who read this would understand. Here were the shepherds in the field, workers in the field, men of the field. They're out there working, tending their flocks of sheep day and night. And suddenly, an angel of the Lord appears among them. And the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounds them. And they're terribly frightened. Did you notice that the glory of the Lord appears? It all begins in the temple, in the sanctuary. And now we've moved out to the fields outside Bethlehem. God is moving out into a weary world. And so, of all the people that the angel of heaven, the angel of the Lord, could appear to and announce the news, the good news of great joy for everyone, that the Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born tonight in Bethlehem, the city of David. That's the announcement. Greatest announcement ever to be brought to this, to this world. And who are the first people to get it? Sheep herders in the fields outside Bethlehem. And then they get a concert from heaven. Suddenly the angels joined by a vast host of others. 
The armies of heaven, they're praising God. Glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to all whom God favors. Here are the armed forces of the kingdom of God and they are declaring the birth announcement. And who is their audience? People who in their world would have been overlooked, ignored, forgotten. People who were just working to make a meager living, taking care of animals day and night out in the fields. If that doesn't amaze us, we've missed the story. And when the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, Hey, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this wonderful thing that's happened which the Lord has told us about. And they ran to the village and they found Mary and Joseph. And there was the baby lying in the feed trough. And the shepherds told everyone what had happened. And when the angel had, and what the angel had said to them about this child, and all who heard the shepherd's story were astonished. But Mary quietly treasured these things in her heart and thought about them often. Meanwhile, the shepherds went back to their fields and to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for what the angels had told them, because they had seen the child just as the angel had said. The weariest folk of all. The ones whose lives are disrupted and displaced. The ones who don't, know, don't have a clue about what's going on in Jerusalem or Rome. They're the ones who get to be the first to hear the news. Why does God do it that way? Wouldn't He have been better off making an announcement to the emperor in Rome? so that we could make this all official? Wouldn't he have been better off holding counsel with the leaders in Jerusalem? Wouldn't have had some of the problems you would have had later on, right? Wrong. I think that God shares it with these shepherds, this, this wonderful summit meeting between the weariest people on earth and the mightiest angels in heaven. Because God does not want His good tidings of great joy to be something that those who think that they're powerful can then tax or control or sell. But He wants this to be a word for everyone. He'll not let the gospel be put into a stone box or turned into a routine or turned into a decree. But he wants it to be sent out to the field folk and they can go tell everyone what they saw. And the mother of the Savior can treasure it in her heart. It's very appropriate then that our youngest ones tell the story of good tidings of great joy for everyone. And I hope you come tonight like those shepherds were going to come out to, to Bethlehem. They wanted to see this. But that news, and by the way, the gospel that you and I know, that message, the thing that we've come here to affirm and to believe and to remind ourselves once again all about, it began with a proclamation to shepherds in a field. They're the first ones to break the news 
Wasn't CNN, wasn't Fox News, wasn't MSNBC, or any of the other media, internet outlets, or any sort of official journalistic organization of the first century. It's just shepherds. And what got the people of God prepared before that was a stunning interruption to the worship in Jerusalem that it took them a while to figure out what it meant. But when Zechariah the priest could finally open his mouth and say his name will be John, the ball gets rolling and the people get prepared. And now there is a Savior. And that means there is peace. And that peace will continue to grow as we continue to see the rule of God break into this weary world and overcome all of those powers, the powers in our own hearts and the powers that are made by us that cause us to be so weary. Good news. Good news, weary people. There's great joy. There's great joy because we have a rescuer, a savior, a king. Don't worry about the things that make us weary. God's given you a king. Don't worry about the turmoil, the oppression, because there will be peace and it will win out. But you'll find it nowhere except with the Savior. Will you share that good news just like those shepherds did? Or come and see. Come and see what that good news is all about. And know the one who was born so quietly that night in Bethlehem. As we stand and sing this song, we want to invite all those who feel weary to come and pray with us. We want to invite those who want to come and be born again in the life of the Savior. However we can minister to you here and now, let's take that opportunity. Let's stand, let's sing to one another.